Okay, so we're journeying on through the book of Genesis, carrying on through the life of Abraham, or Abram, as he currently is. By the end of this morning, he'll be Abraham. We're going to look at chapters 16 and 17 this morning, Lord willing, and we're going to start to see, in a sense, the trials um, just intensify in Abraham's life. We read in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. You know, we all go through various trials Yeah, and sometimes they are of our own making, but even then, as we'll see with Abraham, the Lord used it for his purposes. As we've already been singing and highlighted this morning, all things work together for good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. If we look at just some of Abraham's trials, this isn't by any means intended to be an exhaustive list, but certainly it's the ones we've looked at recently, the strife with Lot. I mean, that must have been quite a challenging moment for, for Abraham. He's journeyed with his nephew for for quite a while now, and suddenly he's in this position where he knows he has to say to Lot, look, we've got to separate. And really, that was all just being obedient to the call that God had originally given him. You see, that was a very natural bond. You know, to the natural mind, it was the right thing that they stayed together, that Abraham took this responsibility of looking after his nephew. You see, Abraham had already been told to separate from his brethren. And God required that total separation from the world and from the natural ties that he had so that the blessings that God had for Abraham could be poured upon him. You know, we don't necessarily look at the blessings that are going to come when we're in the midst of those trials. But as Abraham goes through this, the Lord is wanting to bless him, but until Abraham gets into that place where he's separate from those natural things, that can't happen. Well, then there's a, the concern regarding inheritance. We looked at that last week. Again, it was the natural circumstances. Abraham didn't have any children of his own. We find that Eliezer, this uh, man from Damascus, had become his chief servant, and as such, had become effectively the one who was going to inherit. And that, that was the natural way of doing things. And, and Abraham goes to God and asks that question. You know, know, what is going to happen? I've only got this Eliezer of Damascus. There isn't anyone else to inherit from me. It was a natural situation. It was a real trial for Abraham as he goes to God and really says to God, Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to resolve this problem? We're going to see, and we saw the problem already of of Hagar. We see this this morning as we go into chapter uh, 16 in a moment. But you see... The problem here again, it would seem to be a, such a, a natural solution to Abraham or Abraham and Sarai at this point. Because this wasn't uncommon at that time in that culture. And particularly in Egypt, the idea of surrogacy was something that was well known. And it kind of, it makes sense in the natural. But of course it wasn't God's way, it wasn't God's plan. And then ultimately we get the, the problem of Ishmael as well. And it's kind of the, the natural order because the firstborn normally is the one that would inherit. But God reverses the order here. And it's Isaac who is subsequently born. is the one 
whom God says he's going to inherit. He's part of that plan that God had had. You know, the, 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 the challenge here is seeing for each of us the difference between the natural, the common sense, the obvious way of doing things and the spiritual way of doing things. I love this statement by Oswald Chambers. He's speaking of that moment as Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the waves toward Jesus. He says, the wind was actually boisterous. The waves were actually high. But Peter did not see them at first. He did not reckon with them. He simply recognized his Lord and stepped out in recognition of him and walked on the water. Then he began to reckon with the actual things. And down he went instantly. Uh, this is a, just an interesting point as all Chambers makes. He says, why could not our Lord have enabled him to walk at the bottom of the waves as well as on top of them? It's an interesting thought. Because of course God could have done. But he says, neither could be done saving by recognition of the Lord Jesus. You see, the moment we start to look at the natural, we take our eyes off of Jesus. We start to look at what we can do and how we can solve things and the, the right way of doing things. And of course we know from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.14, that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We're talking Romans 8, 5 and verse 8 as well. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And verse 8 goes on and says, so, that they, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's a really important point as we go into this chapter to see this distinction between the way it is for a follower of God and the way it is for the people who are in this world. And the challenge we have, as we've already seen with these altars that Abraham has been establishing, is going from that place of being kind of at Shechem, the world, to in between being between Bethel and Ai, between God's house and between the ruins of the world, and ending up at that place where God would have us, that place of fellowship with him. Well, we've seen already a number of promises that God makes to Abraham. I just want to remind you of a few of these. Because back in Ur of the Chaldees, when he's there, God appeared to him and said to him, These things, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God already said that to Abraham. What a, a promise to have spoken over your life by God himself. And then at the age of 75... God again appears to Abraham and says, to your descendants will I give this land. This is at the point he comes into the land of Canaan. And we're told there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then after that separation from Lot, we read again that the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot has separated from you, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. God underlining these promises and that Abraham is going to have descendants, which means he's going to have children. It goes on and says, And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Notice it's God again who is giving this piece of land to Abraham. And then we saw again after the defeat of the kings, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Abraham goes on and says, But Lord, what will you give me? This is what we looked at a moment ago. 
seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abraham said, look, you give me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And then God says to him, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. God's speaking these promises over Abraham as he's going through his life and his journey. You know, it's not just one comment that he's got to hold on to. There's multiple things. And of course, for us, we have, as the Bible says, exceedingly great and precious promises. We have a multitude of promises to remind us that God is leading and guiding. That God goes before us. Again, the Lord reminds Abraham to look at the stars and, and so on. He says, so shall your descendants be. I'm told that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Just having faith that God would do it. Well, we come to chapter 16 and we find that 10 years have now passed. Let me ask you a question. Have any of those promises expired? Have any of those promises now got to the point where they've got a sell-by date on them and they no longer apply 10 years later? Of course, we know the answer's no. God's promises are the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because some time passes doesn't change the fact that God has made promises. You know, we need not to grow weary or lose heart. If God has promised, God will do what he's said he will do. He will perform it. So we go into to chapter 16, and we really see this situation now with Hagar, this young Egyptian lady that had been brought back as... Um, Seemingly, Sarah's handmaid given to her while she was down in Egypt. Again, the whole trip to Egypt probably should never have happened. But Abraham goes down there and, as I say, Sarah is taken into the harem of the Pharaoh. And as such, Sarah would have been given a lady to attend to her. And seemingly, this is Hagar. And Hagar then comes back with the family. Again, ten years later... And we read verse 1 now. Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. You know, it's once again... It's the natural solution to the problem they've got. Not uncommon in that culture. It may seem strange to us, but in that culture, this wasn't such an uncommon thing. And and I genuinely believe that in Sarah's heart, or Sarai's heart at this point, there was that desire to see God vindicated. God had made these promises, and yet nothing's happened. And, And it comes from that genuine desire to see God's promises fulfilled. But we see straight away the problem of trying to help God out. You know, that, that desire to try and step in and do something that maybe God hasn't quite thought through properly. You see, the temptation doesn't come screaming, temptation. But it comes as common sense. So often in our lives, the things that will pull us a little bit away from God, those temptations, we don't often recognize them as such. They come in such an obvious, common sense, practical, natural way that unless we are walking by faith, 
we will trip over them and we will stumble at them. Oswald Chambers makes another comment, and I love this. He says, the good is the enemy of the best. He says, a lot of good things that we can do, we can invest our time in, a lot of good decisions we can make and so on, but those are always the enemy of the best, and the best is what God has for us. Always. We may not always see it as the best, but it is the best. And the danger is we, we find a good solution like Sarai and Abraham seem to have stumbled across here. What a great idea this would be. It means Abraham's finally going to have offspring. God's promises can be fulfilled. But what an enemy of God's plan their idea proved to be. You know, and again, as I said already, it was a practical thing. It was according to Egyptian practice and so on. You know, we find later that Moses is taken, effectively becomes uh, a son and his own mum effectively becomes a surrogate mother so that Pharaoh's daughter can have Moses as her own. I said again that Abraham, I believe, doesn't want God's plan to be thwarted by his inability. Yeah, and that's a problem, isn't it? Because we can sometimes see these things as kind of a, a humility on our part that, well, we're not good enough, we're not able to do the things that God has called us to do, so therefore, and we try and help God out. Well, we're going to see some lessons in grace. And you can make a note of this if you want. Again, it's in the notes. But I just try and reiterate and communicate this to you. These two chapters we're going to look at, they're so important and they're so applicable being bundled together as they are here. The first lesson in grace is God can do it all. Now, I believe Abraham has learned that lesson. I believe he's come to the place of realizing and trusting and seeing that God can do it all. He's already learned a number of things along the way. And I think probably for most of us this morning, we're kind of there. We know God can do it all. But the next lesson is God will do it all. And I think Abraham's kind of not maybe fully on that one yet. Because he's trying to help God out. But the biggest lesson yet to learn for Abraham and for us is I think the final one here. That God has done it all that changes everything because we sometimes try to step in and help god to do things in our own lives but we've got to, god has done it all it has all been done and we just have to receive from god let me, let me show you from scripture this born out romans 4 we read as it is written i've made thee a father of many nations. Good topic today, isn't it, being Father's Day? May the father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. So God is calling things that haven't yet happened as though they have already happened because in God's economy, they have already happened. God is outside of time. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. See again, Abraham believed that God could do it. Maybe even to come to that place of believing that God would do it. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, 
Now, this is it, because this is later in the story than we are this morning. Because we're going to see that Abraham will come to that place of realizing that God has done it. Because verse 21 of Romans 4 says, And being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he was also, or able also, to perform. It's that belief, that knowledge that this is all about God. Verse 3, we carry on. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, sorry, uh, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years, there you have that reference, in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. It was a real game changer. You know, this kind of highlights a, a real problem with the decisions we make and when we try and map out our own path. And that's simply that it didn't work out how Sarah had anticipated. This wasn't what she planned for. You see, the problem with us is that we do not know the end from the beginning. But God does. That's why we're called to walk by faith. Again, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Sometimes we read scriptures like that and we, we can think of very sordid, evil, horrible things. But, you know, it can be very almost innocuous things that are our own desires. And we get led away by those things. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You know, there's two things here. Firstly, is that we don't think through the consequences often. We'll enter into something, we'll do something, we'll say something, we'll act in a particular way. We'll now something into our heart or mind. And we haven't thought through the consequences. And Sarai and Abraham at this point clearly hadn't thought through the consequences of this action of theirs. One commentator put it like this, though, and I actually really like this. He said, compromise in the face of anticipated failure. That kind of goes back to the point we were saying earlier, that you know, both the Sarai and Abraham, they were expecting to fail. They, they, there was no natural way they could solve the problem. And so they revolted, re, uh, reverted to compromise. And Sarai said unto Abraham, <laughs> my wrong be upon thee. She kind of blames Abraham for this predicament because she says, I've given my maid into to thy bosom. I think some translations translate that into thy embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Of course, in that culture, having children was a really big deal. The whole idea of offspring and everything else. Of course, we see it played out with Jacob and his wives. But now Hagar's pregnant Suddenly she has the upper hand. And Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid, thy maid, is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her face. So Hagar makes this decision to run away. And the angel of the Lord, make a note of that, we're going to talk about that in a second, but the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. That's on the way back down to Egypt, by the way. That's where she was heading going back home. And he said, Hagar, and notice the context here, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? What a great question for each one of us. Now, where have you come from? And where are you going? What is your plan? What are you looking to do? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. 
You know, just running away from a problem doesn't make the problem disappear. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. You know, there is a a situation here that we need to understand our position, our standing. We must allow pride to get in. Because you see, the problem here really ultimately was that Hagar had allowed this pride to come in. Had she not, then this wouldn't have been an issue. But of course, God has allowed this because otherwise, well, maybe Abraham and Sarah wouldn't have come to the point of realizing that what they'd done was, was wrong. And we're told again that the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Because, again, this child is going to be a descendant of Abraham, and the promise has already been given to Abraham. And this is an extension of that. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard thy affliction, and he will be a wild man, His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That is packed with prophecy. We'll come back to it in a very short while. But just want to highlight, the Lord just reminding her that there's a responsibility now that she's pregnant. Now, I just want to talk about this phrase we have, the angel of the Lord. This is the first time it occurs in Scripture. And literally it's a messenger, angel, angel, angelos in the, in the Greek, but in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. It's again the same idea, a messenger of Yahweh, or the voice of God, you could speak here. And again, we see this in the first person, this I will. Clearly, this is God himself speaking. This is a pre-incarnate vision, as it were, of Jesus the second person of the Trinity, speaking now to Hagar. And when we read in the book of Hebrews, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers, including Abraham, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. God has spoken a number of times in the Old Testament to a number of people, and we see this angel of the Lord, this individual, appear on numerous occasions to Joshua, to Samson's parents, and uh, many other accounts we have in the Old Testament. You know, every time it's identified with Yahweh, it isn't just some angelic being, this is God himself taking on some sort of human form, and having conversations with these individuals, yet distinct from God the Father. Again, very clear from the context we see. And as I say, most commentators are of the opinion that this is a a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, the person that we know as Jesus Christ. Hagar, well, the name means flight. And it's interesting because at this point she's in flight. She's fleeing back towards her hometown. But once again, as you say, she's pregnant with Abraham's child. That way to, to sure, it's a Hebrew word, word meaning wall. <laughs> it was kind of literally, it was a fortified border uh, as you went down to Egypt. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, th- there's, a lot, there's lots of kind of typology in this. You know, she's fleeing from a problem and she's heading for a wall. 
Uh, that's kind of the reality of all of us when we try and flee from problems. And after asking again where and what and why and so on, God gives this commandment, return and submit. You know, there's no place in, in any relationship or any situation for pride. But again, God is asking him to be obedient to him at this point as well. And this promise we've seen, that God has promised to multiply her descendants through this child particularly. Yeah, and we've got a number of these, these prophecies regarding Ishmael. Ishmael, again, means God hears, that's the name. And there's at least five prophetic attributes that are given in the text here. Firstly, God says again, it'll multiply your descendants exceedingly, so they should not be counted for multitude. Well, Ishmael, we know from Scripture, becomes the father of 12 tribes, and they're listed in Genesis 25. We'll see that if we get there, Lord willing. And they occupy most of the Middle Eastern region. Now, the destiny of these descendants, they were told in Genesis 25 again that they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is in the east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. Havilah is the area of Arabia, so they're going to settle in that area, and also in the eastern border, border of Egypt. So typically, if you look at a map, the red area there is where these descendants of Ishmael will end up making home, effectively. It's just also interesting because when we look at the sons of Ishmael, uh, we, we see kind of a progression just going down here. We're not going to go through every one of them. But again, God will hear. This is where we start in terms of the, the meaning of the names. And then we have Nebajoth, which means fruitfulness. Kedar then goes to darkness. Adbiel means chastened of God. Miz, uh, sorry, Mibsam means sweet odor. Mishma means hearing. Duma means silence. And you, you see a load of these, these types and patterns. When we look a little bit later as we go through Genesis, you'll see how these names seem to depict the way these descendants of Ishmael go, eventually coming to a place of, of not hearing from God, of moving away from that place of relationship with him. The second prophetic element we see there is that we're told he's going to be a wild man, literally kind of like a wild ass, an untamable animal. The, the third is that his hand shall be against every man. And again, these things we've seen fulfilled in history. You know, one of the objectives of T. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, as we know him, was to try and unify these Arab tribes that were fighting amongst themselves. I mean, it's exactly what had been prophesied for this group of people. We're told that every man's hand shall be against him. And, you know, we've seen this through history as well. The Arabs have been conquered by the Egyptians, Babylonians, Persians, the Greeks, the Romans... The Crusaders, the Mongolian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and the British Empire, and so on. Yeah, these prophecies we have are no mere casual remarks in Scripture. And again, we were told that he would dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Well, again, that's exactly what we see. You know, look on the map, you see that area. That's then, today, the descendants of Ishmael... And it's hard to track them down because they intermarry with other groups. But they are still surrounding Israel. They're dwelling in the midst of their brethren. We go on and pick up verse 13. And she called the name, oh sorry, and she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her. Now, there you go. That's the, the clear evidence that this is God speaking. And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her. Thou, God, seest me. For she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer Lahiroi. 
it's literally the the literal translation was the the well of the living one who sees me because she's realizing that god has seen her predicament yeah what a great place we get to in our lives when we realize that god understands where we are god understands what we're going through god has not forsaken or left us or abandoned us hagar thought that was the case she was convinced of it and then god meets her where she is and behold, is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bare Abraham a son, and Abraham called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. That, that means that Hagar went back and had this conversation, no doubt with Sarai, and probably apologized for her attitude, spoke to Abraham as well, and said, God met me. God told me we should name this child Ishmael. And so Abraham now names the child Ishmael. And we're told that Abraham was... Four score and six, 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. You know, once again, we just see this, this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. You know, at this point, this is 430 years before the law is given. Well, I just touch after the 430 years is from that 75 years age of Abraham when he enters the land. You know, the law doesn't change any of this. And the Galatians 3 makes that clear. You know, and we read in Galatians, and it's a great little study in itself. The contrast is given between Ishmael as a type of the flesh, the will of the flesh, and everything else, and Isaac, who's the child of promise. I'll let you take a, a look at that in your own time and do a study. But it's very interesting to see this comparison that we're given in the book of Galatians by Paul. I just want to quickly just take us through this chapter because it is so applicable to what we've just seen, because it, the same theme applies here. It's the problem of the flesh life. It's the problem of the natural. And we read, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, he's 99 now. I think this means he's been somewhere around about almost 25 years waiting and waiting and waiting for God to fulfill this promise. And halfway through, or partway through this, again, there's been this attempt we've just seen to try and solve the problem. But now with some time yet further on and the lord appeared to abraham and said unto him i am the almighty god walk before me and be thou perfect you know that that's not be without sin that's not what's being asked but perfect in your intentions perfect in your heart it's the way that david was spoken of as being a man after god's own heart not that david had everything right of course david made many mistakes but he had a heart that was after god let your heart be perfect before God, seeking God, desiring God. Yes, we will stumble. Yes, we will fall. But we have an advocate with the Father. We can go. We can confess our sins. And we're told again, First John, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness. What God is looking for is people that will walk before him with a perfect heart. And we're told, and I, notice this, God speaking, I will make my covenant between me and thee. And will multiply thee exceedingly. And I think this is really interesting because all this time, these many years, even after now Ishmael has been born, Ishmael's somewhere around about 14 years old at this point. Abraham may have been thinking, I've blown it. God's not speaking to me anymore. Ever since the whole thing with Hagar, God hasn't spoken to me. And for years now, Abraham's been waiting. And, you know, we get into those places and we think, well, maybe God has given up on me and the satan would love to convince us of that lie 
But notice what God comes says. God says, I will make my covenant. It's like, Abraham, you can't break this agreement even if you want to because the covenant was made on God's side, on God's ability. I will make my covenant between me and thee and I will multiply thee exceedingly. God is going to do this. And Abraham fell on his face. I mean, that, that's one of those lines that Spurgeon would have probably speak, spoke for an hour on, just that, that line there. And Abraham fell on his face. Coming to that place of realizing that despite all the mistakes, despite all those times when he tried to do his own thing or didn't quite follow God's word, God is now saying, you know what, I'm going to do it, not because of you, but because of my promises. Abraham fell on his face. You know, each one of us, as we come to that place of realizing what God's grace has done and continues to do, we should fall on our faces before him also. And God talked with him. Didn't condemn him, didn't cast him aside. He talked to him saying, as for me, I love this. It's not as for you, it's as for me. You know, Abraham, I, I know what you've done, but as for me, God really saying there, because I'm faithful, because I never change, because I'm a good God, a good father. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And it's not going to be by your might or by your power, but it's going to be by God's Spirit. It was one of the verses that came out up at the conference recently up in York, the pastor's conference. God was speaking to us all about not trying to do things in our own strength. And we need to realize that as God moves us forward, as God works in our lives, in our midst, it's not about our might or our power, it's by his spirit. And we were told, neither shall thou name any more be called Abraham, or Abraham, sorry, but thy name shall be called Abraham. God inserts there the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the He. It's like the breath, five being the number of grace. God puts grace into his life. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee. Notice what God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee. Notice again, I, God is doing all of this. I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. Notice Abraham is a stranger at this point in the land. This sojourning in a strange land has already begun the the time they got into Canaan. And it lasts 430 years in total. And all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And notice again, and I will be their God. See, God is going to arrange and organize and do everything. All God is looking for is that willingness and obedience. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant before thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Now, we don't know quite how this conversation was going, whether this was an audible voice that Abraham is hearing here, 
or whether God is just speaking to Abraham's heart. And God speaks to us at different ways. We've read the verse from Hebrews at different ways in different times, different places. God speaks to us however he chooses and whatever he wants. And sometimes God speaks audibly to people in Scripture particularly, and God can still do that today. But often God just speaks to your heart. And this is one of those that you really want to know that you've got God right on this, because God is saying, this is going to be my covenant, which will be between me and you. This is what he's already said. He said, and I see after every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant. That is so important. Don't miss that word. It shall be a token, a sign of the covenant. Circumcision has no value in and of itself. It is a sign of a covenant that God establishes at this point between Abraham and between himself. And God says, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. And he that is born in thy house and he that is brought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. There's some interesting biological parts we'll just mention in a second to this. But this is about God speaking what he's already been speaking to Abraham. It's that separation between the flesh life and the spirit. God is speaking to Abraham about cutting away part of the flesh. And it's to be something that's physical as a reminder of the flesh life. And it's going to be a constant reminder to Abraham through his life and through for his descendants. Of, in a sense, the, the danger of following your own path as opposed to following God's. And God takes, in this situation, something that's very, very sensitive, part of the body, obviously. God's making a real point here with Abraham. With circumcision, we now know through medical advances that vitamin K, the clotting agent, which now babies are given as injection, is not typically formed until the fifth to the seventh day. So if they were to try and do this before the eighth day, it potentially could be very dangerous. The blood may not clot. But also, prothrombin also is necessary. On the third day of a child's life, after they're born, it's at 30% of normal. On the eighth day, it peaks to 110% and then levels off afterwards. So the best day, medically, if you were going to circumcise a child, would be the eighth day. And again, how did Moses just get that right? Was it trial and error? Was it guesswork? No, this has to be God revealing something for his plan and for his purposes. And I'll just leave this in the, the notes. This is something that, that Chuck Misler alludes to in his study on this. But he looks at the papyrus Ebers. These were documents that were found in Egypt. And it lists a whole load of things that medical... Uh, remedies to certain problems. I'll just read a couple of these. The first one there, if you had an embedded splinter, you should apply worms, blood, and asses dung. Really? And he goes through, and this was like your your well-stocked medicine cabinet of that time with the other cultures that have things like, again, lizard's blood, swine's teeth, putrid meat, moisture from pig's ears. I'm not sure how you get that out, but, uh, you know. Uh, Look, you can see the list there. It's crazy. 
That's what the other cultures were doing. And yet God reveals things in, in the Bible that actually make sense. And really, the, 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 the whole of this is, again, far more about the circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, there's an allusion to that. Jeremiah 9, 26, you can see the references there. And Paul, a number of times in the New Testament, speaks about this circumcision of the heart. You know, again, it's a cutting away of the flesh life. And God said to Abraham, As to Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. So once again, a is placed in there, shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings, of people shall be of her. So now God is promising that Sarah is now going to have a child. I mean, this is a crazy situation that can only be of God. Just a very quick Hebrew lesson regarding the, the names. The Hebrew alphabet is phonetic as well as pictorial. We, we're used to phonetics in our alphabet. But for the Hebrews, they would have a drawing or diagrams, so pictorial as well. And you can see the picture up there on the top left. It's designed to look like kind of an ox's head with the horns either side. And it had the idea of strength. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an aleph. And it has the idea of a leader or strength or so on. Bet, we're familiar with that, it's like Bethlehem, it means house. And you can see that even the drawing of the letter there, a little bit like a tent, and so on. So you put those two together, the strength or the leader of the house, we get Ab, and of course Ab is the name for father. You start to see how the Hebrew letters work and build up these incredible pictures. The hay, here, Again, it's got, the idea is that the, pictorially, it's like hands lifted up to heaven or an open window. And it has this kind of idea of the breath of the Spirit. God breathing on. Originally Adam in the garden, Abraham and Sarah here. And so we now find we've got the, 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 the father, we, we put the, the hay in there, and we get a harp, which is the word for love. It's kind of revealing the heart or essence of the Father. That's what the word love actually means. What a great explanation of what love is. It's the revealing of the Father's heart for us. The world is totally confused about love. So, again, at this point, these names change by God placing that hey, Hebrew letter in there. Just, just God breathing on them. Effectively kind of putting his spirit within them. And then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. And laughed not as Sarah was going to laugh later, but I think overwhelmed and overjoyed that God is making this promise to him. And said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And I don't think that's a question of doubt. I think it's a statement of proclamation. And so shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God corrects him and says here, and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and shall, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. You see, God already now giving the name of the one through whom this lineage is going to go, which makes Genesis 22 even more incredible when we get there in a few weeks. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make 
him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Abraham's got to go back to the house of the family or the servants and everything else and explain to them that God has changed his name. He's now going to be a father of nations. And explain to Sarah that she's now going to be called Sarah rather than Sarai and explain why. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were brought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God has said unto him. But Abraham was 90 years old and 999 when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his house born in the house and brought with money of the stranger was circumcised with him. You know, again, this isn't, chapter 17, a departure from what we've seen in 16. You know, 16 is all really about the flesh and the spirit. And chapter 17 is just the same. And God reiterating it and giving for Abraham and for his descendants a perpetual reminder of this battle between the flesh and the spirit, that we need to cut away the flesh life. We need to put our trust alone in God. This covenant, again, we've seen reiterated in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17. And we're going to see it reiterated again and again. But once again, I'll just underline, this is all of God. This is God's work. This is God doing what he will, not because of Abraham's wonderful obedience, but because God is God. Abraham, as we've seen already, falls down before him. And that's the response really from each of us as we realize that God is doing a work in our lives. God is doing a work in our midst. But it's not a work that's based upon human ingenuity or ability. It's a work that's purely based upon his grace and his goodness. We'll pick up from there next week. Let's bow our hearts. Father, as we look at these verses of these chapters, Father, we're just reminded once again of your faithfulness. Lord, even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. You cannot deny yourself. And we just thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. And that, Lord, just as you had given these promises, exceedingly great and precious promises to Abraham, so you have done so for us. And, Lord, 10 years may have passed since we last heard from you or had a promise. But those promises don't expire. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can hold on to the promises you give us, Lord. And most importantly, Lord, the the assurance we have of our salvation, not because of what we've done, not because of our ability, but because of your promise, because of your covenant, because of that new covenant that was made through the blood of your Son. That we didn't participate in it. We didn't and couldn't have earned it. But Lord, we receive it gratefully by faith. Lord, help us to understand these things. May they be impressed upon our hearts. Lord, these aren't just ancient cultures and ideas that have been recorded. Lord, these are as relevant to us today as they were in Abraham's time. And Father, as Abraham would have physically felt the pain of that circumcision, Father, we may have to go through some pain as things of our flesh life are torn away. Things maybe that we've held as very precious. 
Lord, things that maybe we've seen as a source of pleasure. But Lord, you ask us to cut those things away for something better, for something far more valuable. And that's, Lord, that deep and lasting relationship and walk with you. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray, and just watch over us, keep us as we go from here today. Keep us growing in knowledge and grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.